Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah in Isaiah 28 verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and we thank you, God, for preserving these scriptures for us. We thank you so much, Father, for the life of the Apostle Paul and just how much you were able to utilize him. Uh, and, and that even to this day, uh, we Christians can be educated so much 
by what you taught the Apostle Paul and with his gifts, how he was able to teach the church in the first century and through all the centuries down through our time. We thank you, Father, and we just pray that we would uh, be inspired by his example and by the study this evening. We praise you, we thank you for Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. So let's, let's begin this uh, study of Acts chapter 9. We'll begin actually going back to chapter 8, where remember we first uh, met Saul consenting unto the death of Deacon Stephen. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church. So he really was driving this persecution. And the church was in Jerusalem, and he was just out to stamp them out. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed and they faced the music, but the brethren scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and they made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women so he was just ruthless, had no pity on the women, committing them to prison. And so what we see here really is one of the first terrorists uh, for the Christian church. P Paul was a terrorist. He tried to advance his cause through terror. And it's really interesting that today in Damascus, Christians are facing this same level of persecution. And what we must realize is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So at this time with the early church, the devil was working through Saul and through the Jews. And so the Jews were doing the devil's work. That, that, the devil's not attached to human beings, and we shouldn't be either. We should, not, we should not think that the Jews are our enemy today. They're not. Jews and Christians live quite peacefully today. The devil moved on from using Jews to using the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was vicious in its, its brutality and, and, and terrorism against the early Christian church. But again, the devil is not attached to human beings. He just uses them as puppets, and when he's done with them, he casts them aside. And today, if we, if we look in, actually, Damascus, this, this very place, we're seeing a level of persecution against Christian church, the Christian church that is unprecedented. Uh, just as Paul went from house to house, we're seeing ISIS... In Damascus, the very place where Paul was converted and be, began this uh, mission to the Gentile churches, they're now going from house to house and slaughtering Christians. And so we can't be attached to any particular person or, or type of being or type of human beings. It's just the devil. And what we see here is the hatred, and it's so severe, the hatred against Christians, that we see uh, Saul going from house to house, and even taking the women and treating the women brutally as well and, and committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered. So there's three groups here. There's the apostles who stay in Jerusalem. Then there's the brethren who are arrested and they're in prison. And then there's the rest who can run for their lives. And so they scatter and they go to uh, various places in Samaria and, uh, and Judea. And then and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, 
he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So he was in Jerusalem. They fled Jerusalem. He's now going after them. It's not enough that they've left Jerusalem. He now wants to go after them, find them, and drag them back to Jerusalem to be punished. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. So he's got the letters from the high priest. He now has the authority to bind these Christians and drag them back to uh, Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, so on the way to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, Who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now notice that Jesus is speaking in the present tense. Even though Jesus was crucified, he was buried and resurrected, and uh, he's now in heaven, here he speaks to the apostle, or the soon-to-be the apostle, uh, Saul, uh, in the present tense. You're, you're persecuting me. What does that mean? Well, remember in Colossians, we had covered this before, that Christ is the head of the body. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. We have to see Acts as the acts of Jesus Christ. That when we look at the gospel, and we look at everything that Jesus Christ did in the gospel accounts, that when we now look at Acts, we're seeing the very same acts that Jesus did being done again in the apostles and the, and the brethren. But what we understand is this is all driven by Pentecost. When, when Jesus Christ sent down his Holy Spirit, which now has empowered the brethren to be his body. So the head is in heaven, the body is on earth. And everybody that has the Holy Spirit within them is a member of Jesus Christ's body. So when you persecute a Christian, whatever you do to a Christian, you're doing that to Jesus Christ. And that's why he says here in Matthew 25, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So these are people that have allowed the devil to activate them. For I was hungry, and you didn't care. You gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. There was no mercy in you toward me. I was a stranger, and you, took, you didn't take me in naked, and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then shall they answer unto him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and didn't minister to you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Truly, I say unto you, inasmuch as you didn't do it to one of the least of these, the least member of the body of Christ, you didn't do it unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into, into eternal life. And the righteous treat the body of Christ well. They do all these things positively for the body of Christ, even the least in the body. And Christ takes it personally. And this is why we really must not be afraid of persecution. The world is, I, I'm just uh, flabbergasted at how quickly the world is changing. In fact, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was thinking about Samaria and the, the kings of um, uh, Assyria and how ruthless they were and how their policy was to go into Israel and mix up Israel, to, to dilute Israel. And it's like, that's what I'm seeing today. In all of the Judeo-Christian nations, the, the white nations that are founded on Judeo-Christian principles, they're being forced into diversity. I think the kings of Assyria would be thrilled at what they're seeing. Whereas the brown and black nations, nobody cares. They're allowed to remain nations. 
But the white Judeo-Christian nations, they are being forced to diversify. They must weaken their gene pool. And, and, and that's the very same thing that the kings of Assyria did. Now, that's one thing. But the problem with that is the Judeo-Christian ethic is being neutralized. It's being wiped out. And, and it's being replaced by, well, fundamentally by Islam and certainly by the left. And, and the left and Islam are coordinating. They're both extreme. They're both brutal in different ways. And they've kind of figured out that they can use each other. And, and you know, the left thinks that they can use Islam and then be, be, get rid of them. And Islam certainly knows that they can use the left and then get rid of them. And so the world, uh, these nations are kind of going over to this Islamic principle. And that spells danger for Christians. And so the world is changing. Christ tells us over and over again, be fearless, be fearless, preach the gospel. And what we have to realize is that that's why Christ says not a hair on your head can be touched without the Father's permission. Because Christ takes how we are treated very personally. And so we must just act with boldness. And I think we're going to see here in, in, in seeing this, this turnaround by the Apostle Paul, how important it is for the church to act boldly. So coming back to Acts 9, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, what that means is the, the uh, people who were looking after the, the, the uh, bulls and, and, and the cows as they're herding them, uh, sometimes they would have a stubborn ox. And what they would do is they would take a goad and they would um, basically pierce him in the back uh, to get him to move. But some, of course, you know, they would move, they would, they would be animated and they would, they would get on with it. Others would be very stubborn and they would kick against the goat or kick against the pricks and it would just make it worse for them. And then the prick would really go into them and cause great pain. And Jesus is saying to Paul, that's what you've been doing. I've been after you and you've heard the gospel message, but you haven't responded. So you've been kicking against the pricks and, and, and certainly the, the sermon that Stephen gave was a prick to, to Paul's conscience or Saul's conscience. So here, you know, he ended that or he shifted, transitioned that sermon after he went through the whole history of Israel and showed just how stiff-necked they were throughout the whole history, constantly resisting the Holy Spirit. And he concluded that sermon by saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have, you, have not your fathers persecuted? And they've slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you've now been the betrayers and murderers. And so Saul heard this. We, we saw that he was standing by, and, and those people who actually stoned Stephen to death, they, they put their, their garments by uh, Paul or Saul uh, because he was authorizing this, and he was rejoicing in this, but he would have heard this sermon, and it would have been playing upon him because he knew the history of Israel. And so while Stephen was going and recounting the history, he knew the accuracy of what was being said. And this was, was playing on him, but he was resisting it and kicking against it and making matters worse for himself. And, and Jesus is saying to him, it's hard for you to do this. You've got to stop doing this. And so back to Acts 9, verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? So, so this is like men and brethren, what shall we do? So finally, his conscience is fully pricked here, and he wants to know, what should I do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the city, and it, will be show, it, it shall be told you what you must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, 
but seeing no man. So this is really interesting that, that here we're, we're seeing uh, Jesus Christ acting in a very profound way in the life of this human being. But notice, and we're going to see this later, this is not in the middle of the night, in the middle of a cave, where, with no witnesses. And then Saul comes out with all authority and says, everybody, you better believe me or I'll kill you. This is in the middle of the day with many witnesses. They just, they just don't know. They can't see what's going on, but they can certainly see something's going on with, with Saul. And they can hear, but they don't know the details. But it's very clear to them what is happening. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. So he was, in other words, he was blind. So, so this light that shone in his eyes, this, this is really the presence of the Lord, it was so bright it burned out his optical nerves. So, so when he arose from this, he's blind. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So this just happened just outside of Damascus, and now they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight. And neither did eat nor drink. So he's just first of all he's blind and now focused on what happened and reliving everything that happened to him and maybe going back in the past and how he persecuted the Christians and the encounter that he had with the Lord and he's fasting for these three days and, and, and three nights so fasting for the three full days now look at this and again this is how God works we have to understand how God works and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him said the Lord in a vision Ananias and he said behold I am here Lord uh, which I think all of us would respond Lord here I am ready to do your will whatever God would have me do I'll do it but what what's really important for us in terms of how God works first of all I said that uh, Saul's vision and Saul's encounter with the Lord was in the middle of the day with witnesses in addition to that he gives a complementary vision to Ananias so he can bring the two together, and by two witnesses, the truth of the encounter can be established. So again, God doesn't expect us to believe somebody just on their say-so. Hey, this happened to me in the middle of the night, in the middle of a cave, and you better believe me or I'll kill you, because God said to kill you. This is, this is nonsensical. What makes sense is that God is going to give us multiple evidence and multiple proofs so that we're, we're without excuse if we deny the truth of what's been presented. And so here Ananias says, I'm here, ready to do your will, Lord, what is it? So the Lord said to him, arise and go into the street which is called Straight. So to this day, there's a, a, a street in Damascus which is straight. And so it was just known with all of these sort of uh, winding roads, in Damascus there was a street, a street called Straight. And he says, you know, go in at that street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus for behold he prays and this is amazing Saul of Tarsus is praying this is a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees who's all about ritual and observing the specific prayer times and and really is not in a relationship with God at all and this is again what we would call out to our Muslim brothers and sisters God doesn't want ritual. He wants a relationship. He wants us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And with Saul's encounter here, he's abandoned ritual. And he's actually, in the three days that he's blinded and fasting, 
he's drawing close to Jesus Christ. And he's actually entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God is telling Ananias, look, he's praying. Right now, he's praying. He's, he's communing with me. And has seen in a vision, and, and, and while he's praying, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive sight. So, so this is how God works. He gives one vision to Saul to say Ananias is coming, and then he gives another vision to Ananias to say Saul is waiting for you. So when they come together, they can confirm the operation of the Lord. Then Ananias answered and said, Hmm, I'll get right on that. What a great idea. Uh, you know, think about this. If you were chosen, and let's, let's take Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi today, who's doing tremendous havoc around the world, and certainly in the Middle East, and certainly in Syria and Iraq, uh, and destroying Christians. And if we live there, and we were aware of brethren who've been slaughtered by this man, and then you were given a vision saying, Behold, Abu Bakr is praying at this minute, and I'd like you to go and, and, and tell him, give him a message from me. Uh, I think we would respond uh, very similarly to the way that uh, uh, Ananias responded. So, so he says, uh, Ananias answered, Lord, you know what, Lord? Um, let me just kind of fill you in because you may not be fully aware of what's going on here down on earth. Uh, I, I've heard by many of this man, he's the talk of the town. Everybody is recounting the havoc and the disruption that he has created in the lives of Christians. And so I've heard by many, not one, not two, but many of this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem and now he's come here to Damascus and um, you know I know you mean well Lord but I just want to bring you up to speed on what what's actually going on and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on your name so you're sort of sending me into certain death I'm gonna be arrested I'm gonna be dragged to Jerusalem I'm gonna be punished sentenced to death I just want to kind of fill you in on, on what, what the situation is. But the Lord said to him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And this is the Apostle Paul's mission, that he's to go to Gentiles. So we know he is the Apostle to the Gentiles, but not just Gentiles. He's also to go to kings. And so we'll see uh, later in this book where he's now addressing kings and bringing the gospel to them, but also to the children of Israel. And a lot of, a lot of people miss this, that the apost part of the Apostle Paul's ministry is to Israel. And that's why people have a lot of trouble with the book of Hebrews, because that is a book, that is an epistle that is written specifically to Israel, to the Jews. And uh, people think, well, it can't be Paul because he's an apostle to the Gentiles. But if you actually study that letter and study it carefully and look at the logic and the history that he calls on, uh, it's very clearly a Pauline epistle. So, you know, we have 99% confidence that even though it's not labeled, and certainly in the early church, they did um, uh, include it with the epistles of Paul. Uh, so, so that is to the, the children of Israel. Now, notice also that Jesus says he's a chosen vessel. I have chosen him. 
and, and, and we're going to see from, from Paul later on in his own testimony, testimony that he was chosen from birth. And that, I just want to remind you at the beginning that it was Peter who recommended that they replace Judas with, uh, with an apostle, that they had to select an apostle, and they chose uh, um, Matthias. But it says here in verse 2 that, the, uh, that he had given the commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So Christ chose the apostles. And then because of Judas, Peter took it upon himself to lead the brethren to choose another apostle. And so they chose Matthias. And notice Luke says that Matthias was numbered with the 11 apostles. Luke never says that Matthias became an apostle. He just says that they numbered him with the apostles. But it's very clear that even though Judas had fallen off and they were at 11, that Christ had already chosen Paul as the as the uh, I believe the replacement for uh, Judas going back to Acts 9 where where now he says so I've chosen him to go to these three camps to the Gentiles to kings and to Israel and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake and this is the true gospel the true gospel is the coming of the kingdom of God. It is the announcement of good news that comes when Jesus Christ returns. But between here and there, suffering may be involved. And, and it really makes me ill when I see these false ministers giving false hopes and false promises to people saying, you know, just accept Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. You're going to be really rich. You're going you're gonna to have everything you ever dreamed of because Jesus is this sort of push-button Santa Claus. And when you come into the church, everything goes well. Well, here, Paul is about to come into the church and he's going to suffer many things for his name's sake. But that suffering is going to turn to joy. And Christ tells all true Christians that we may have to suffer many things for his name's sake. And through Peter, he tells us that as long as we are suffering as Christians, rejoice, 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 rejoice. And, and I think that today, if we kind of really clue into the news and what's happening, and remember the 9-11 Commission, uh, one of the things that it really um, criticized the administration, the U.S. administration for, was a lack, of admin uh, a lack of imagination. That all of the data was in front of them, they just couldn't put it together. And for Christians... We cannot have a lack of imagination. Why? Because Christ gives us the imagination that we need to have. He, he, he sort of lays out the whole game plan. So when we're watching the news, the whole game plan is laid out for us. We should be able to put the dots together because it's sort of like paint by numbers. And so what we see is a very dark future. And what we need to do is encourage each other and teach our children and make sure that our children are aware of how the world is going to change. The same way that Christ says to us, look, I'm telling you all of this beforehand in John 15, 16, and 17. I'm telling you all of this beforehand so that when these things come, you won't be offended. You won't give up. You won't apostatize. In the same way, we need to tell our children that as the news begins to unfold, they're like, you know, my parents taught me this. My parents told me this was going to happen. And rather than be offended, they will then commit and commit fully to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And we have to encourage each other that suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ is a wonderful blessing. We have to change the way we see things. If you suffer as a Christian, rejoice. It's a wonderful blessing. And so let's, let's have this kind of boldness that we're going to see in the Apostle Paul as our example, and we've already seen in Peter and John and Stephen and the brethren here in, in Acts up to this point.
And Ananias went his way. So he responded to God. Are you a little bit nervous about what he had to do? But Christ told him, look, I've chosen this man and he's going to suffer. All the suffering that he's inflicted on Christians, he's now going to become part of the Christian camp and he's going to experience this. So Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting, putting his hands on him said, Saul, receive your sight. And so he, he did exactly what Christ asked him to do. And immediately, so again, we, we see this. So he says, um, And I just went to bed, entered the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you in the way that you came, has sent me. Again, this confirmation from both sides. That you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so that's what Ananias was sent to do, to heal him, to lay hands on him, and so that he would also receive the Holy Spirit. And this is what Pentecost is all about. So we're seeing the, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit now from, from Ananias um, laying his hands on, on Paul or Saul, Saul being his Hebrew name, Saulus, and Paulus or Paul being his Greek name. And immediately, as soon as he did this, there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. So you saw these sort of scale things fall from his eyes and he received sight immediately. And he arose and he was baptized. And this is another thing and I'm spending a bit of time on, on Islam because it is the issue of our day. This thing is spreading all over the earth with the help of the, the left, the extreme left, and it's just it's, it's taking over. And so we're gonna to have to confront this. Every, I, I believe personally, every human being, because Islam is a global expansionist totalitarian ideology, every human being is going to have to deal with Islam and, and, and make a decision with respect to Islam. Because Jesus Christ is the truth and no man comes to the Father but by him, every human being is gonna to have to make a decision with respect to Jesus Christ. And so uh, notice now the very first response from Paul when he, when he encounters Jesus Christ is, Lord, what would you have me to do? The same way we saw in Acts 2 when, when the brethren were like, men and brethren, what shall we do? And they were instructed to repent. Repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit because you can't go on with the devil's spirit inside you and have communion with Jesus Christ. You have to repent you, and you must be baptized to, to enter into this covenant with God and you must receive the Holy Spirit to walk with God. And, and the Apostle Paul is no exception. So the first words to Paul are not recite. Recite, just, just, just be a robot for me and do as I say with, with violence, threatening with violence the way Muhammad was violently attacked and then told to repeat whatever he was told. No, this is about a relationship. And so the Apostle Paul is told, repent. And every single human being that wants to come to God must go through the same process. You must repent, and that's what we're inviting our viewers to do, is to, to read the scriptures, read the gospel, read what we're going through here in the book of Acts, become familiar with what's in, in the Bible and the truth of it, and repent. Repent because the Lord is at hand. Repent because the kingdom of God is near. And then be baptized, enter into this covenant, and then receive the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way you can have a relationship with the true God. Otherwise, there's no relationship. You're still in the devil's camp. And, and by their fruit, you shall know them. And we're going to know Paul by his fruit. We're going to see all, we're going to see all kinds of fruit from this apostle. And uh, when he had... 
So he arose forthwith and was baptized, and so he repented, he was baptized, he had his hands laid on him, he received the Holy Spirit, and when he had received meat, so he had been fasting for three days, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So he was there for a while, he stayed with the disciples in Damascus for a while before going back to Jerusalem, and immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And that is the work of the Christian church. This is our work, to preach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Apostle Paul made no, he just didn't waste time. He, he got his strength back, he got his sight back, he got the Holy Spirit, and let's get to work. And so he goes straight into not one synagogue, not two synagogues, all the synagogues, telling these Jews, he is the Son of God. And notice, in John that this is what Jesus Christ said that he came as the creator into the creation he came into the earth to do a work and he says here in John 8 verse 29 or John 6 29 uh, Jesus answered and said to them this is the work of God so they wanted to know what can we do that we can do the works of God well this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent so the father sent the son into the earth and this is the work so when Christ was here this was the work that he did to get men to believe in him. And now that he's taken up and he's in heaven and the Holy Spirit is on earth working through uh, selected individuals who have repented and received the Holy Spirit, this is what we do. We tell men and people, brethren, anybody who's going to listen to this, that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father. That there is no way that, that he is the only way. There's no other way to salvation except through Christ. This is the work of God. And it, it angers the devil. And the devil's running out of time. And so we're just seeing this acceleration of, of craziness, madness, and violence. As, in, as it was in the days of, of Noah before the flood. Just violence everywhere. To the point where God repented. He was sorry that he made man. But we must do this work regardless. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and now look at um, Paul himself. So, so Luke was writing a biography. He's writing it to Theophilus. But in chapter 22, it, it's an autobiography. He actually quotes Paul uh, recounting what happened to him on the road to Damascus. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear you my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he said, and, and, and it's really interesting that the ministry of Paul is clearly inspired by Deacon Stephen. That sermon that Stephen gave, where he went from the beginning of the history of Israel and just recounted Israel's history and the rebelliousness of, of Israel against the Holy Spirit throughout that history, that sermon informs Paul's ministry. And, and Paul becomes really adept at digging into the Old Testament and proving from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Son of God as he was inspired by Deacon Stephen. And that's why it's so important for us to be bold. We, we can't tell ahead of time what the impact of our preaching and our teaching will be. We just have to do it inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ will work in the recipients, the hearers, how to work that faith and develop that faith in them. But, but what if, what if the, the brethren were terrified and they ran for their lives? Uh, Paul's ministry would be compromised. He would not be so impacted. And God is orchestrating to impact the lives of people. So again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
our enemy are principalities, spiritual powers that we can't see. They can see us, we can't see them. They're operating on earth. They're clearly accelerating their influence with man. We've got to do what we've got to do. So here he, he, he's kind of giving them this history now. I'm, I'm verily a man, which I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, in the city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most notable teachers, or the most notable teacher of uh, Judaism at the time. And he studied at his feet, all the memorization and the depth of going into the Old Testament and really understanding the, the law fully, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the Father. So he really knew this inside out, and was zealous toward God, as you are all this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death. I just had no tolerance for it. If anything, you can see he was kind of threatened by it. But binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest does bear me witness. So he actually was approved by the high priest. They loved him. And all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come near to Damascus about noon, not in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. And, and you can imagine how bright the sun would be in the Middle East at noon. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. So a light that's even brighter than the sun. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute, whom you're persecuting. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and they were afraid, but they didn't hear the voice of him that spoke to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there it shall be told you of all the things which are appointed for you to do. So this is, you've got to work, you've got to do it now. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And so that's his re, uh, recounting of what happened to him. And uh, that bright light that shone in him, you know, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, you know, lest he should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. So he was given a lot of revelation. There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And so we believe from this, from the way he writes, if you look at Galatians 4.15, he says, um, Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and would have given them unto me. So there was some problem with his eyes that, that, was, that happened to him in, in his life. And he also, in other places, he writes, you know, see what big letters I'm, 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 I'm writing with. So he would have his immensuensis write the letter for him, like a scribe. And then he would finish the letter with his own writing. But he'd have to write really big because his vision was not quite uh, good. He couldn't see clearly. And so it seems that this thorn in the flesh had something to do with his vision. So he continues with his autobiographical uh, experience that one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And the very same hour I looked up to him, I looked upon him. So I, in other words, I, the blindness went. And he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see that just one who should hear the voice of his mouth. So, so the apostle actually encountered Jesus Christ. 
and that was God by, by God's design. And that's one of the hallmarks of an apostle, is they actually were with Jesus Christ. And so here we, we know that Paul was, spent time with Jesus Christ. For you shall be his witness unto all men of what you have seen and heard. And, and the apostle Paul had this training and flexibility that he could be all things to all men, that by any means he might save some. And so you'll see how Stephen was very, very uh, strong on the history of Israel because he was preaching to Jews. And, and, and Paul would be the very same way. But we'll see later in the book of Acts when he's preaching to the Greeks, he doesn't talk about the history of Israel. He actually talks about the philosophy and the poetry of the Greeks to the Greeks. And, and we need to have this uh, flexibility that we need to know when we can talk uh, historically uh, and, and, and the history of Israel, depending on the audience, when we have to confront tr the traditional misunderstanding of, of Christianity to traditional Christians. And again, when I say that Islam is sweeping the world, we need to have some fluency with what they believe and, and, and what their hadith and, and the Quran and, and, and the, the, the uh, Sirah. We need some familiarity with these texts so that we can talk to them and, and preach the, Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that they can have repentance. You know, they're coming into the Western civilizations. We need to be preaching the gospel. They've never heard it. They've never heard it. It's against the law in the lands that they're coming from. So they need to hear the gospel. And we need to have this flexibility as Paul did. And he says here, um, you shall be his witness. And that's again the, the mission of the church to witness unto Jesus Christ of everything you've seen and heard. And now why are you waiting here? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Again, no one can uh, respond and have a relationship and represent God without repentance. And here's a man who was fully immersed in the law. He was blameless as far as the law goes, and yet he still had to repent before he could represent Christ. So how does it make sense that, that someone who grew up his whole life an Arab pagan, that, that God just selects him and says, recite, just do what I tell you, and there's no repentance involved. We have to repent, we have to be baptized, we have to receive the Holy Spirit in order to represent God. And it came to pass that when I was come, again to Jerusalem, so he finally comes again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, make haste and get you quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So when he was in Damascus, um, he received this vision, he repented, and when he received his sight and had a bit of food, immediately he went to the synagogues to tell his brethren that Jesus is the Son of God. He spent, uh, we believe, about three years uh, in Damascus and Arabia, and then he came to Jerusalem. And when he was in Jerusalem, he starts telling them that Jesus is the Son of God. And a voice comes to him, Christ tells him, hurry up and get out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Notice how this parallels the life of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ was up in the northern regions, when he was in Galilee, when he was in Samaria, he was famous. Everybody was following him around. They loved him. They listened to him. It was only when he came into Jerusalem that he encountered resistance to the point where they killed him. And, and we see that the brethren, when they were in Jerusalem, the, the Jews were persecuting them and they had to run for their lives. And here now we see when Paul comes into Jerusalem to tell the Jews, hey, this is the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. God is telling him, get out of Jerusalem. And I said, Lord, you know, again, uh, the same way Ananias wanted to uh, inform God as to what was really going on, uh, Paul now thinks that he needs to inform God as to what's really going on. He's saying, Lord, 
They know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed in you. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, so notice he's, um, that that's still on his mind. That really did. That was one of the, the, the pricks in his conscience. So he even mentions it again here. When the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and I consented unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So the argument that, that Paul is making to God is, who better to bring this truth of the gospel to the Jews than me? They know how much I hated this gospel. They know how much I tried to stamp it out. So if I come to them and say, you know what, guys, it's actually true. They're going to believe me. And God says, yeah, you know what? Run for your life. Uh, depart, for I will send you far from here unto the Gentiles. So I'm going to take it away from the Jews. I'm going to blind the Jews and I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. But eventually I will bring the Jews back in. And we see that in Romans 9. But all that, so coming back now to um, Acts 9, so that, that's uh, in Acts 22, the first part we just see the autobiographical sketch of what Luke is talking about here in Acts 9. Carrying on in verse uh, 21, But all that heard him were amazed, and they said, Isn't this the one that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came here with the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased them more in strength and confounded the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And that's the kind of spirit that we need to have, that, that we do our study, we know our stuff, and we can sit with people and engage them in a way, not just to say, oh, isn't it nice to know the Lord and you should know the Lord. No, we can actually prove, we can prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And we can take the scriptures and we have a fluency that we can actually show them, look, this, this is the plan of God. This is how it works. Everything is about Jesus Christ. The entire Bible points to Jesus Christ. And we can prove without any shadow of a doubt that he is the Son of God. And the Jew, even though the Jews killed him for this, thinking it's blasphemy that he, being a man, made himself equal with God. Well, you know what? He is the Son of God and that makes him God. And we can prove that. And so that's what Paul did. He sat with the Jews and he proved it. He confused them. They couldn't answer. And after that many days were fulfilled, and again, the, the many days he's there, we believe to be about three years, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So they've now had enough. Uh, they're, they're seeing people leaving the, the faith, they're becoming Christians. Paul is just increasing and increasing. And, and the, the problem really is power. That the Jerusalem set up, they were in power. And, and, and at the time, you know, um, Paul, Saul had this wonderful career. He was trained by Gamaliel. He was probably being groomed to be the high priest and take over the whole operation. And so that's probably why he was so violently opposed to this doctrine. And, and when Stephen was there preaching, he has great logic skills. He has great reasoning skills. He has great uh, ability to prove and argue. But he couldn't withstand the words of Stephen. Stephen's logic was, was just, you, you couldn't counter it. And so you know what? Let's kill him. And, and now the same thing is happening with Paul. When the Holy Spirit empowers Paul the way it empowered Stephen to give him this ability to teach the truth without any valid opposition, it's like, you know what, guys? Our power is diminishing. People are converting. We're losing our base. Let's kill this guy. Same thing. So we're seeing the very same. And, and Luke is writing this to Theophilus to show Theophilus the ministry of Paul is empowered by Jesus Christ. 
It's the same ministry as Jesus Christ. It's the same ministry as Peter and John, all the apostles. This is the truth of God. And so uh, after these many days were fulfilled, I believe about three years, the, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They, they can't answer him, so let's kill him. <clears throat> but their laying await was known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So he was very careful about his movements, and uh, he knew that they were waiting there, so he didn't cross paths with them. And then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was so, so he escaped. And so when he was come to Jerusalem, he tried to join himself to the disciples as he would. So he's been away for three years. He's really been accepted by the brethren there in Damascus. He's been doing all he can to preach the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And now he's coming to uh, Jerusalem. And he's basically forgotten the havoc that he created in Jerusalem. They've kind of just worn off now. He, you know, he's fully into this. And so he comes to Jerusalem three years later. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And again, we can put ourselves in the same situation if somebody uh, from, from ISIS were suddenly to be converted and, and doing all they can, even at risk of their own lives, to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, just the human na nature, we'd just be suspicious. And so here you see um, in Galatians 1, when, when uh, again, Paul with his, his own autobiography is telling us what happened. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel was, which was preached of me is not after man. So even though he went to Jerusalem, and we see him just entering Jerusalem now, he's telling the brethren that this gospel that I preach, I didn't get it from men. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So everything that Paul is teaching, he's saying Christ taught me. The same way he spent 40 days with the apostles so that they could teach this truth, he spent time with Paul, and believed to be about three years, teaching the apostle so that he could now expound these truths. For you've heard of my conduct in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. So he was out to completely destroy it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many might equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So he was on the fast track. He had a great career and uh, he just excelled everyone. So it was very clear that this is the guy. But when it pleased God, and notice this, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So there was no need for Peter to rush out and find a replacement because from the moment this guy was conceived, Jesus Christ had him selected to reveal his son in me. And so God was guiding his experiences so that he could be particularly crafted to do the work that God had set out for him. As, as the case is with, with all of us, in some way, God has guided our experiences. But this is a very profound involvement that God has with this apostle. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, the heathen, meaning the, the non-Israelite nations. Immediately, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. So I didn't go to my parents. I didn't go to my, my, my buddies to say, you know, hey, what do you guys think? No, I just responded to this calling. Neither did I go to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for two, just over two weeks. So this is how we know that he was away for three years, that when he received this gospel, he didn't run to Jerusalem 
to, to, to learn from them, hey, what, what, what's this gospel that you have? What is this truth? Help, help me understand it more fully. No, he went into Arabia. And for three years he was there, he was receiving revelation from Jesus Christ. And then he went back to Damascus and he was working in Damascus, teaching what he had been taught, preaching this gospel. And then when three years had elapsed, then he went to Jerusalem. And, and so he didn't go to Jerusalem to learn the gospel. He had, he had already received it. And he, went to, and he spent uh, two weeks with Peter and they were probably comparing notes and, and, and figuring out you know, how, how they uh, can work together. And then going back now to Acts 9, where they were afraid of him, uh, but Barnabas, or Barnabas, the son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles. So they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas could see. Barnabas could see what was going on. And so he brought him to the disciples and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. So he's explaining to them what happened and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus Christ. So again, another witness to how, how the apostle had this encounter with the Lord and, and just showing how he put his life on the line. He, he, was, he was nearly killed for this. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So, so because of Barnabas, uh, they had uh, accepted him and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and disputed against the Greeks um, but they went about to slay him. And that would be, the, the, the I believe, the Greek Jews. Now, uh, notice this, that he disputed. That this is, not, this is something that I think a lot of times we think we're Christians, we mustn't ever dispute. And this word, suzetto, uh, means again to, to investigate jointly, to controvert, to dispute. Uh, so we think that we must never be in debate. Well, this is what we do. This is what the apostles did. That's, that's the way when these ideas collide, the truth stands. And you can see how weak an idea is when it confronts the truth. When it doesn't confront the truth, yeah, you know what, that sounds pretty good, pretty good story. But when you bring the truth against it, it cannot stand. And so that's what the apostles did, that's what the deacons did, that's what, that's what the true brethren do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they preach boldly. And many times they end up in dispute. It, we can disagree, we don't have to be disagreeable, but we can disagree. And we have to disagree because Jesus is the Son of God and the, and the devil hates this truth. And, and, and his people will resist it. But we need to show them that they've been captured by the devil and God wants to free them. That, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So he disputed against the Grecians and they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So he's going back to where he's from. Then... The churches, so, so now that he's left um, and he's no longer driving the persecution, then it says, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and all Galilee uh, and Samaria and were edified, they were built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the, and, and in the, comfort of the Holy Spirit and were multiplied. So the church continued to grow and the church always grows uh, in the face of persecution. And so after this persecution had passed now, it just, there was no resistance to, to the growth. So I, I think I'll just go on and finish the chapter now. It's, you know, Luke is going to change gears, but just for a deal, I just wanted to mention that comfort of the Holy Spirit. So uh, Christ called it the comforter. And, and here the brethren with the Holy Spirit comfort each other. So as they are working, it's the, the Holy Spirit is working in them to comfort each other. And now it's very strange that, that um, in chapter 9, uh, 
Luke really takes pains to show us this turnaround, this repentance of the Apostle Paul and how profound it is. He was really extremely working for the devil. He's knocked down and now he's in, in, in the other extreme working for God. It's like when God says, you know, I wish that you were hot or cold. And, and so Paul was cold. He, he just hated Jesus Christ. And now he's hot. He loves Jesus Christ. And, and I guess that shows us that when somebody has spirit, when somebody has conviction, God can use them. It, when people are kind of wishy-washy and it's like, yeah, I think, you know, Christianity is a pretty good idea. I suppose I can spare a couple of hours on the Sabbath and have a cup of coffee. And then I'll just go back to my life. God can't use that. God wants us to be hot or cold. Because when we're hot or cold, he can actually do something with us. And so let's kind of turn up the heat here and uh, really commit ourselves. So now he's focused on explaining the repentance of Paul and how God intervened in Paul's life. And then suddenly he goes back to Peter. And maybe in the chat we can talk about this because I, I really don't have a good answer as to why he didn't talk about Peter first, get Peter out of the way, and then shift gears and focus on, on Paul. The only thing I can think of is, is it's sort of this transition that he's trying to show Theophilus that the, the, the work was really focused on um, uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria. And Peter was really driving that work. And now Paul's this chosen vessel to take it beyond into the uh, ends of the earth to all the Gentile nations. And, and so that's the only thing I can think of that is sort of this phase transition. And so he's still showing that the operation is continuing with Peter. But I'd be interested to say to see what, what others think in, in the chat session. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which were at Lydda. So they spent two weeks together. Um, and then Paul goes back to Tarsus. And now Peter is uh, going through uh, Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, and which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And again, remember, Jesus Christ went through and, and, and made many who were lame and sick of the palsy. He healed them. And so the Holy Spirit is continuing the work of Christ in Peter. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes you whole arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. And all that were that dwell at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was, so that's the work of Christ working in Peter, and we're going to see it in Paul. So he's sort of setting it up to show um, uh, Theophilus that Paul is going to do the very same thing. Now there was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. So she just had the, the gift of service. And that's what she focused on, is just looking after the brethren and serving the brethren that were in need. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick. So she had some sort of sickness uh, that actually caused her to die. So, so she was sick for a while and then she died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. So that's it. Dorcas is dead. And for as much as Lydda was near to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was in Joppa, they sent to him two men begging him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber and all the windows, all the widows stood by weeping. So he comes to uh, Lydda and they're all, all the widows are weeping. And what they did was they showed him the coats which she had made. 
and the garments which Dorcas has made while she was with them. And so this woman was so important to them that she looked after all the widows and the widows were the most disadvantaged people in the community. And, and maybe without these clothes, some of these widows would have died in, in the winter or, or, or just really suffered, but she looked after them. So Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, which is Dorcas, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he stayed many days at Joppa with one Simon a Tanner. And so ends the the uh, wonderful Sorry, I just lost the sound there. Um, so uh, in this transition chapter, wonderful transition chapter, I think Luke is showing Theophilus that even though the Holy Spirit is now beginning to work in Paul, it hasn't ceased to work in Peter. And Peter continues to do the work of Jesus Christ, healing the lame, uh, even r raising the dead. And, and so the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, is continuing to work. Paul is just a part of the body. He's, he's not the entire body, but certainly he's an important part of the body. And all the members, the Holy Spirit is flowing through them, and they continue to do the work of Jesus Christ, as should we. And so the Holy Spirit continues to work today. Jesus Christ continues to be the head of the church. We are his body, and Jesus is the Son of God. And that's the work that we have set out for us to do, is to preach the gospel and to teach the world that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen.